Good evening, howdy. We got a full house tonight. Hi, everybody. How is everybody? Everybody get enough Coney Island hot dogs? So, everyone who believes this is an extravaganza, raise your hand. Yeah. Easy people. I like this. Oh, hi. Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group. To prepare for our meeting, let's get focused by having a three-minute moment of silent meditation followed by the fog light prayer. We'll be doing that in just a moment. Good evening. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Mike Chase. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Danny. Thanks for joining us tonight. We're going to start the meditation in a minute, so please take a moment to get situated. So let's turn our devices off that will make noise and will distract others during the meeting and meditation. We call that meeting mode, which is basically just turn that critter off. Let's see. Okay, I need bifocals. Crap. All right, the coffee area will be closed for the portion of this meeting so as to minimize distractions. Also, please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and down. That includes going to the restrooms and going to the closed coffee area. And if you're one of those people who just like to stand up and sit down, stand up and sit down, for no reason, cool. Like you? Yeah. Yeah. For the meditation, some suggestions are focus on your breath and posture. Breathe in God, breathe out self. So spread out a little bit. You sort of look like a ball of snakes. Get comfortable. The idea is to stay somewhat uncomfortable because if you get too comfortable, it turns into... Nap time. Nap time. Yeah. Yeah. So the reason we do this is if you're anything like me, you've had the crazies of the brain running all day long, and I need to turn that off so I can focus on our speaker tonight. So... uh, we got a two or three minute meditation. What are we going with tonight? We'll find two minute meditation. So the lights go off. We'll see you guys in two minutes. And we like to say, enjoy your time with God.
joining us in the fog light prayer um if you don't know it yeah yeah, there's a big old sign up there god let your love shine through me like a fog light so those who are lost sick and dying can find your love through me from the forward of the first edition of that book alcoholics anonymous we have Alcoholics Anonymous more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. To show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of our Monday night meeting and of the book. From there is a solution also from the big book. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. So this is an open meeting. As such, all who have an interest in alcoholism and the program of recovery are welcome. Because this is an open meeting, you need not identify yourself, nor your reason for being here if you do not wish to do so. Your anonymity will be protected. We ask that you protect ours. We have a show of hands for people joining us for the first time. Welcome. Awesome. Give them a round of applause, regulars. <clears throat> Can I see a show of hand of recovered alcoholics and leave your hands up? If your hand's not up, those are the folks you guys want to talk to, snuggle up with after the meeting, find out how they got recovered and can be connected to God. Snuggle up with. Not like that. (laughs) While this is an open meeting, membership in this group is limited to those who wish to recover from alcoholism and have a desire to stop drinking for good and all. Each member of Alcoholics Anonymous is a potential sponsor of a new member and should clearly recognize the obligations and duties of such a responsibility. So this is our Monday night big book study night, but normally we meet upstairs in the third floor. We have a, a room set up that's a class and we read the book, page zero to uh, basically to uh, our southern friend. We read the forewords, the doctor's opinion, all the way up to uh, the doctor's nightmare, and then we throw in our southern friend just to wrap things up. We just finished that. We started in 2011-ish. I believe this is our fifth time around now. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, we're celebrating this. We always celebrate this by being a speaker in who's been very influential in the big book area of South Florida. And the guy we got tonight is just going to you know, hit it on the bar, ballpark. But we also like to review some of the numbers we do. We also have a podcast, and the podcast has been, uh, we like to just throw out some numbers on how good we get. So currently, we have had a number of people who visited the home group in 2017 via the internet is 437,011 people have come to this home group worldwide. Um, We started off, yeah. Exciting. By the way, you guys noticed that those hot dogs were like really good, not the cheap Costco ones. There was a gentleman down in the Keys who sent up an extra hundred bucks. He said, buy real hot dogs, get real hot dogs. Mm-hmm. Well, so we did. So thank you. Thank you to Al. We appreciate it. We got yeah, good hot you. dogs. Yeah. January, we started off with a number of visits of 31,012. Um, we've now worked up to 50,000 people a month listen to our home group online, which is really kind of cool. If we went to the international convention, 
Yeah, that's how many people we get listening to this meeting a month, which is kind of cool. Yeah. All over, we get people from all over the world. We're going to list some of the countries of people who listen to us just randomly. A lot of people have come from different countries, too, and when they come down here to vacation, end up coming over to us, which is really amazing. people from Kenya listening yeah, to us. Great Britain. Denmark. South Africa. Mozambique. Why did you say it like that? That's, <laughs> that's how you say it, is it? Latvia. Uh, the Southern Russian, Russian Federation, South Korea, South Korea, Baran, Denmark, Argentina. These are boring. Find some fun ones. Seganaka. What? What? <laughs> what depicts a fun country? Something, Egypt. Egypt. That's not fun lately. Um, Taiwan, Panama, Guatemala. What is this? About? I can't say it. Vietnam. Let's just do that okay, one. Croatia. <laughs> So you get the idea that we're, we're, and we get emails from these people, and, and they say things like, thank you so much, we live in a part of the country, a part of the world, a part of the United States, where they don't have big book meetings. So we're able to bring AA's big book message to them on a weekly basis, and which is really cool. Yeah. And i uh, tell you one thing, it wouldn't, by the way, we need to just take a moment. One of the guys who started Big Book Resurgence, so you guys are sort of spoiled because you've been around long enough. That, that you just think AA has always been really big with the big book. Mm. But for a while there, the big book was sort of pushed off to the side and, and therapy and psychology sort of took over. And a few years back, many years back, John W. and some guys started the big book seminar. And he passed away this morning. He was one of the mm. people that got us all back into the big book. And we'll hear about him tonight. He's one of the guys that just made this possible and got me mm. back into God too. So, Our speaker, what do you know about him? Uh, Pat, cool dude. Totally cool, dude. <laughs> Who's been to the Big Book seminars? Okay, how many have heard him take a step series? How many have heard his story? Well, you guys are lucky because most people never heard his story from beginning to end. And that's, yeah, like her, she's excited about this. And she's, and she's married to the guy, so. Let's see, divorce number three, perhaps? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I just got them turning against you. Yes, I love it. Uh, Pat has been coming here for, uh, at least since I've been here for the last five years, and every time he's come here, um, it's been a blessing uh, to have him as a part of this group and have him to speak for us. Um, and I, I learn something new and interesting every time about it. So um, you got anything else you want to say? Leave it you to you to make uh, it serious and make it to the point. Um, let's give Pat a round of applause, and let's hear his story. <laughs> I got a phone. Laurel and Hardy up here. <laughs> I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Pat Rowe. Thanks to the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Outlined in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which is the program of AA, I have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. And for that, I will be forever grateful. Uh, AA didn't just give me my life back, but it gave me one li worth living and absolutely love my life today. absolutely enjoy life, love recovery. I love this fellowship. I love everything about Alcoholics Anonymous and some other fellowships that I'm involved in also. And it's just uh, a real honor and a pleasure to be here. I thought they said Long Island iced tea, though. <laughs> what that Coney Island hot dog thing came from? I don't... <laughs> Pretty cool, though. Thank you uh, for having me. Uh, appreciate it. I, I, I thought maybe you guys had heard enough of me. Uh, 
the last uh, 12 weeks. <laughs> but it's uh, always an honor and a privilege to be asked to do something like this. Boy, and I thought, like, you know, after a couple of years of doing this, the nerves would go away, but it's just, it's just not going to happen. You know, 26 years later, I'm still just get that pit in my gut every time I do this. And, but I'm the, uh, I'm the real alcoholic, man. I'm that guy on page 21, you know. I'm the guy that's always more or less insanely drunk. You know, I'm the guy that does incredibly tragic things while drinking. You know? I'm that guy that resembles myself but little when I'm drinking. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, that's me. You know? I'm that guy that gets tight at exactly the wrong moment. You know, I'm the guy that doesn't show up on Christmas Eve. You know, plays times like that, family functions. They ask me, where were you? Why didn't you show up? I don't know. I didn't know. I didn't know what I didn't know until I got here. And I believe I caught the genetic bullet. Come from a long line of Irish drunks. Our family tree has bottles of Bushmills hanging from them, some good Irish whiskey. My, uh, both of my grandfathers are dead uh, from alcoholism. My grandmother on the Irish side is, is, has passed away due to alcoholism. My dad had four brothers and two sisters. He has one sister alive today. All the rest of them have died directly related to alcoholism. He drinks a half a fifth of vodka to go to sleep every day, every night. I'm, he says it's potato vodka. I don't even know what that means. But I, I think he thinks it's good for him. I think he thinks it's a vegetable. <laughs> it's an Irish thing, I guess. And There's some great photos uh, Mike put up here uh, of my sisters uh, and my brother. And uh, I have... Uh, a sister who's two years younger than me, who is two years less sober than I am. She actually 12-stepped me. And uh, I have a brother who's two years younger than her that it skipped. Does anybody have one of them in their family? Like a normie? That, that, like just kind of, Yeah, we have one. One normie that's, that sticks. My brother's that guy who can go fishing with a six-pack and bring five and a half back. <laughs> yeah. And the one that he's coming back in with is warm, so he dumps it out on the way in. An alcohol abuser is what he is. And uh, my baby sister, who, who her picture is up here, uh, passed away almost nine years now. I think it's been since, of an overdose. Uh, it broke our heart. You know that we couldn't help her. Uh, you know all the information that we have here, and and couldn't help her uh, get this thing. She just couldn't get it. And tragic. You know, beautiful young girl. Anyways, <laughs> I believe I was an alcoholic, and all you need to do is add alcohol. I think the line I crossed was my lips. You know, that was it. You know, once I had a drink, I was off to the races. And, and I don't know why I had this love affair with, with alcohol. I know this, that, uh, you know, we talk a lot about unmanageability in this program. And... Uh, whether it be inner unmanageability or outer unmanageability, but the, the unmanageability that I identify with 100% is that inner unmanageability, is that inner struggle that has always taken place inside my gut, and that, that's that inner dialogue, that in, inner conversation that I always had for myself that, that hated the way I looked and hated my height and hated that I was too skinny and hated that I looked like a troll and hated that my ears stuck out and my nose was too long. 
And, and that's just what I saw. I had this, this, this picture of myself that was just uh, was hateful, you know, and, and uh, just full of fear from as long as I can remember. You know, I was the five-year-old who would throw up on my way to school from fear. Just always had that slightly nervous disposition. That's why I love Jim's story. You know, perfectly normal in every way except a slightly nervous disposition. You know, I was that guy with the, that kid with the slightly nervous disposition and with, with, with the ticks, you know, the eye would twitch and if you touch one eye, you gotta touch the other eye and if you pick one nose, you gotta pick the other one, you know, and you just touch one ear, gotta touch the other side. I was just like this OCD, tick ridden little kid that just, just didn't fit in, man. I just, I, I just was fearful. I, I was the kid who had my homework done in school, but I would not get up in front of the class and read it. It just, I would take the F, just move along, leave me alone. And, uh, and I don't know where that comes from. I, you know, I don't know. Uh, there was a lot of violence that took place in my house. Uh, that might be part of the nervous disposition. Um, I don't know if I just, you know, was wired that way from the start. I don't know. Uh, you know, my dad. Uh, you never know who was going to walk in that door at night. Uh, there was the guy that would walk in, and my mother would ask him where he was, and and the next thing you know, they would be fist fighting, and and my I have pictures of my father sitting on my mother's chest, slapping the shit out of her, uh, while the three of us kids would sit on the couch watching cartoons, you know, and and other times he'd walk through the door and said, you know, pack up the car, we're going camping. And we would get in the car and we'd head towards northern Pennsylvania, Cook's Forest area where my grandfather had a camp. And uh, and things would be great, you know, unless my mom would ask something stupid on the way, like, where'd you get this car or something, you know. <laughs> and, and, and my dad would literally throw my mother out of the car. I mean, he just didn't give it. He didn't want to hear it. You know, I mean, we'd be in the middle of nowhere, and mom's gone. <laughs> you know, like, Dad, are we going to go back and get her? Shut up back there. Just mind your own business. And, you know, sometimes we would, sometimes we wouldn't. You know, we'd end up meeting her back at home sometimes. You know, it just he was just a, a, a character. I, you know, I didn't know that uh, until, until I got here. I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know that he was one of us. You know that he, you know that you never knew who was he. He was that Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. He resembled himself but little when he drank. You know he did incredibly tragic things when he was drinking. He was, he was one of us, and, and I didn't understand that until I became him. You know, and and so that was just really my childhood was just ridden with fear, and uh, and I was, I, and it wasn't that I was not capable of certain things. I mean, I, I played. I was a great baseball player. You know, I. I Outside of the game, on the practice fields, I was awesome. I always, you know, I made prep league, I made pony league, I made little league, I, I played high school baseball, you know, because I could make the team, but I just not could not perform under pressure. You know, I just as soon as the pressure was on, I would just fall apart from nerves and uh, and couldn't perform. And, and that was kind of the story of my life. I got to a point where I just wasn't going to try anything in fear of failure. You know, I, I I'm done. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna back off and watch and. Uh, I knew I was never going to date. I mean, I knew that was never going to happen. I, I knew if I asked some girl to go out and she said no, I'd have to shoot myself. You know, I, I just couldn't take that kind of rejection. So I figured I'm going to be alone the rest of my life. And I kind of dove into uh, dove into work. You know, I, I became attached to material things. I became validated by cars and motorcycles, and I became a thrill seeker with trail bikes and street bikes and. I worked and, and put money into fast-moving objects, you know, and crashed them a lot. 
And uh, and because the thrill was there, and it wasn't even I didn't even care. You know, I, I was a kid that would jump off of a roof just to see if I could. You know, just just to see if I could jump that high without going to the hospital. You know, and, and just for the thrill of it, and just to take me out of the way I felt. And you know, I, I uh, my mother married again. My mother married another violent guy after my dad left when I was about five or six years old. You know, I, I resented that deeply. I, I look back at that now and think he did us probably the biggest favor he could have done us was to get the hell out of our lives, you know. And uh, I didn't know that then. I used to sit at the window waiting for him to come home at that time. But uh, now I look back at it and say, what a favor he did for all of us, not being a, a permanent influence on our lives. And, but my mother married another guy just like him, another another drinker, another violent guy. And by this time, I'm into my teens, and him and I are clashing big time, and him and I are rolling around the house together. Uh, and now I want out, and I'm 14 years old, and I can't wait to get my driver's license to get the hell out of the house because I know my driver's license is my ticket to freedom. You know, I've got motors. I bought a car at 14 years old. You know, I, I mean, I had a vehicle at 14 years old. I had a motorcycle at 14 years old. I had a trail bike at 14 years old. And I just couldn't wait. I knew when I got my license, I was the hell out of there. And, Longest two years of my life. Does anybody remember like waiting for, from like 14 to 16? It was like I was 700 more days. Check, you know, 699 more days. Check, you know, I'm just out of here, you know. And I actually on my 16th birthday drove to Harrisburg, PA, without a driver's license to get my learner's permit in a car with no plate on it. You know, well, it had a plate on it, just wasn't, it just didn't belong on it, and. Uh, and came back and took my driver's license and got my car, my plate for my car, and I knew I was out of that house. And I uh, was making plans to get out of there. And I got a call from my cousin Russell, who found out I got a driver's license. If you have a driver's license and a car, you're very valuable as far as partying is concerned. I didn't know this at the time. Also, I learned if you have a tap for a keg, you're very valuable. <laughs> yeah, so I got one real quick. Yeah. <laughs> So I got invited to all kind of keg parties because I had the tap, right? $35 deposit for that damn thing back in those days, you know. I just put the deposit down and took off with it. <laughs> Cost me 35 bucks for a tap, but I got invited. That was a great, great investment. <laughs> so my cousin Russell calls me and he says, we, our band is playing at a dance tonight. And he says, you know, why don't you come down and pick us up? And take us over to the dance. We'll have some fun together. And I said, I don't, I don't do that. I don't, I don't dance. You know, I, I didn't go to any of the homecomings or the or the proms or any of that stuff. I didn't, just didn't do it. You know, I was afraid to ask somebody to go for one, and and other was I couldn't imagine what I might look like on the dance floor. And uh, I said, No, I don't do that. And he said, No, come on, you don't have to dance. He said, You could just sit back and watch the band, and uh, you'll have a good time. Trust me. So uh, so he picked me up. I picked him up, and him and I and Rat. Does everybody have a friend named Rat? <laughs> Rat was a 16-year-old Italian that looked 45. Yeah. He was losing his hair already, a full beard, hair all over his chest. You know, he was that guy. And we sent Rat into, if anybody's familiar with Pennsylvania, they have state stores. Is anybody familiar with right? It's not like here where you can go into 7-Eleven and buy liquor or a supermarket or, or, the, or the, the liquor store next to Walgreens. or They didn't have none of that. You had state stores and beer distributors. And at that time, they had what you call an LCB card, a liquor control board card that you had to be carrying to buy liquor at the state store. But Rat looked 45. 
you know, and if you looked old enough, you didn't get carded. That's what we called it. And so we sent Rad into the state store, or Russell sent him into the state store to, uh, to buy some liquor. And he came out and uh, he came out with a bottle of Boone's Farm Strawberry Hill and a bottle of orange vodka. <laughs> and uh, we got to that dance and outside that dance, uh, halfway through that bottle of Boone's Farm Strawberry Hill, I had a spiritual awakening. <laughs> I mean, I had a life-changing experience. Uh, I still can remember the feeling. I still remember the ease and comfort that came from that half a bottle of Boone's Farm. And uh, my mind, when, when shit hits the fan, my mind still reaches back to that moment and says, man, that was comforting. You know, it was that, you know, like you're talking 16 years of shaking and, and, and having a hard time getting a, 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 clean, a clear breath. You know, my, my breath was more like, <sighs> you know, and finally it was... And uh, I hit the dance floor <laughs> first time ever, man. I, I went from that guy that's on the wall hoping some girl would be desperate enough to ask me to dance to John Travolta. <laughs> I mean, I was out there with my platform shoes, my bell-bottom pants, my paisley shirt, you know, my hair down to my shoulders, and I was, <laughs> I was posing, man. I was... I had all the inhibitions were gone. I was tall enough, big enough, strong enough. I was a good-looking dude out on that dance floor, man. And <laughs> ladies, I was that guy that you were trying to get away from, but he kept showing up in front of you. You know what I mean? Like I was that guy. Here I am again. You know? <laughs> and they'd be trying to dance with their girlfriends, and I'd be coming around again. <laughs> I had an absolute blast that night. I had the time of my life, absolute time of my life. And I want to tell you something. I was never going to go back to that nervous little kid that I was before that night. I was never going back to feeling like I had felt the day before that. And I never looked back. And like I say, I drank alcoholically from that day on. I, I, uh, I had found the magic potion. I think I was an alcoholic. Uh, I think I caught the genetic bullet. You know, I think I was an alcoholic, and all we needed to do was add alcohol. Uh, I don't know anything about social drinking. I don't know why you'd want a social drink first off. You know, I fired for effect, you know, and, uh, and I love the effect. And the more the merrier, the more the better. And uh, look, if you had something else, I'm in. You know, my drug of choice really became whatever you had. You know, I didn't even ask you what it was half the time. You know, you want one of these? Certainly. <laughs> why wouldn't I, you know? I started asking what direction we were going. You know, are we going up or down? Because I, I need to be prepared here. I'm driving. You know. <laughs> I reshaped a lot of vehicles. We're talking the days of quaaludes, man. Damn. Fights and wrecks. That's what they got. That's what they were all about, right? Get your ass kicked and wreck a car. <laughs> Go to jail. <laughs> that was my pattern anyway. I don't know about you guys. You know, the inner unmanageability was fixed. That nervous, shy, introverted kid came out. I was now having the time of my life. I now had confidence. I now had a network of friends. I now find a place where I fit in. Uh, regardless of who and what they were or what they were doing, I found a place where I was accepted. The outer run manager, on the other hand, the consequences started really quick. 
And uh, I, it took me three days to go through the windshield, you know. Uh, hit a pole dead center three days later in a blackout and woke up on a hood of a car. Wrecked three more cars that year. Got arrested three times that year. Got my first felony at 19. Lost my driver's license before my 17th birthday, by the way. And got caught three times driving under suspension. So I was never going to get my license back as far as Pennsylvania was concerned. And people around me are going, dude, this is not working for you. And I'm going, this is fine. This is fine. I'm going to figure it out. You know, somehow, but I was never going to stop. I, I was never going to put it down. I was never going to go back to the way I felt before that. I just needed to figure something out. I just needed to, to I just needed to learn how to drink and drive. That's what I need to learn. I need to learn how to drink and drive. That's what I need to do. I, crazy. I look back at it. I love the line in Bill's story that describes that era for me, and it says, ominous warnings, which I failed to heed. You know, like everybody's warning me, and they're actually backing away. They're actually saying, no, we're not getting in the car with you. No, we're not going with you. Anybody have friends that go, like, we're going to another bar? And I go, great. And they go, no, we're going to another bar. (laughs) You know, you're staying here. Yeah. But we're leaving. And they, they were just tired of going to jail with me. You know, I just, that was the way, that was my pattern was to get drunk, get caught, and end up in a jail cell. And, and most of them were pretty small jail cells and, until, the tra- until the trafficking, until the felony. And when I landed in uh, Allegheny County Jail in Pittsburgh, that was an awakening. That woke me up a little bit, briefly. Yeah, I'll never forget that, that morning, and it really, I look back at it, and, and it describes exactly what the book describes in the second fact in the book. I mean, the first fact is a tremendous fact, but the fact is that we have lost the power of choice in drink, you know, that we cannot bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the pain and suffering of, a, it says, a week or a month ago. I, got, I was in that Allegheny County you know, picture. I'm John Travolta in Allegheny County Jail, right? I got the bell-bottom pants, platform shoes, paisley shirt, hair down to my shoulders. I'm about 120, 125 pounds, right? I look like a date, you know, and, and and I think I'm going to be a date, you know, and I want out, and I'm begging this judge. I'm, tears are coming down my face the next morning, and I'm saying, please, you have to let me out of here. I can't do this. And he he ROR'd me, you know. He he let me out, you know. And first thing I do is get outside the front door and go, thank you, God. You know, what a break. Never ever will I do this again. I can't I can't do county. You know, and uh, on the way home, I'm thinking, damn, my car's impounded. I ain't got enough money to get it out. Shit, I got to get an attorney. Oh, crap, man, this sucks. You know what? I need a couple of drinks just to take the edge off. You know, that's all, just a couple. I just need, just need a couple of Budweiser's. And I'm going to take the edge off. And boom, I'm off on another run again. I couldn't remember the pain and suffering of this morning, let alone the pain and suffering of a week or a month ago. Got, uh, had a child in 78, got married in 79, that's kind of my pattern. (laughs) Uh, Moved to South Florida in 1980, Fort Lauderdale. Commercial Boulevard and Andrews Avenue. Guess what was going on in 1980 in Fort Lauderdale at Commercial Boulevard at the 
executive airport. <laughs> I found a higher powder. <laughs> they didn't have that crap up in Pittsburgh. <laughs> that shit was so stepped on by the time I got there, man. It wasn't worth buying. But this stuff was coming right off the plane, man. Shavings. I know it's an AA meeting. I'm sorry. It's just, if I had known you guys would be offended, I would never have snorted it. I swear. <laughs> I had no idea I was going to end up here, though. I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> My drinking went to a whole new level. I found a way to drink around the clock and make it to work. You know, that's amazing. I didn't go home. I became an absentee husband. You know, my wife at the time and my uh, one-year-old son when I moved here, I, they didn't even know who I was. I was hardly ever home. You know. I became the best employee ever. <laughs> they, nobody ever saw anybody move like me in that warehouse. Man. I was like a buzzsaw, man. Look at that guy go. We need four of him. You know. They didn't know I was spending $300 to go to work to make 80 You know? <laughs> But that's the way it was. <laughs> spend 300, get through the day, spend another couple hundred to get through the night, plus the bar tab. Pay your mortgage with credit cards and drink up your paychecks. You know, and that's kind of where my life was. I don't know how my, my wife hung around as long as she did, but, but we ended up getting divorced uh, in 1978. Or 88, I'm sorry. She, she hung out for about almost eight years, and, and probably because I had her trapped, because that's what I do. I take hostages. You know, you, I don't want you working. I don't want you leaving the house. I don't want you going anywhere. Just keep the drapes closed and stay home and take care of the child. You know, I'll, I'm the man of the house. I'll make the living. Just stay there. And I, just afraid as hell that she'd find somebody else and run away. You know, it's up to me. I'd chain her to the damn bed or something. I, I hate to admit it, but it's true. Don't talk to him. You know, you might find out he's a better catch than me. Anybody was a better catch than I was. So we ended up divorced in uh, in '88, and I got everything. I got I got custody of my son. I mean, that's just ridiculous. I mean, I I had the I had the attorney. I had the money. I got custody of my son. I got the house. I mean, she wanted to waste. She wanted out so bad. She went to a woman's shelter first before she even got an apartment. You know, she just wanted away from me. It was becoming violent in the house. And uh, I wasn't divorced a month. And I was sitting in my bedroom. Maybe the first moment of clarity in my life. I don't know. I was halfway through a bottle of Jose Cuervo 1800 when it came. And... uh, and I reflected for a second and, and absolutely hated my life. I, I can't believe it ended up here. I can't believe I'm alone raising a 10-year-old by myself and, and gave up my marriage. And uh, picked up a 38 and, and attempted suicide. You know, I, I put a gun to my head and pulled the trigger. And flinched and shot my waterbed. <laughs> and uh, probably a real break because it took the attention off the suicide attempt because my water was going everywhere. 
And I'll tell you what chokes me about that. And I, I hate to even talk about that because what chokes me about that is that my 10-year-old was in the other room. And I never, ever, ever even considered the impact that that would have on him. Never dawned on me. It was all about me, me and my self-pity. That bitter morass of self-pity Bill talks about. That's where I was. And so I realized I couldn't live without her, you know, and we reconciled. And she came back. I, you know, I, I, told the, this, I told her what we all tell them, right? Things are going to change. It's going to be different. I'm going to put the drugs down. No more drugs in my life. And I meant it. I meant it. I knew I couldn't go down that road anymore. I never said I wasn't going to drink. I said I was only going to drink on weekends. Yeah. I'm not going to drink during the week no more. And no more drugs. And the truth is, I didn't do another drug for two years before I landed here. You know? And that was part of the denial that I was able to walk away from the other substances, of course, my drinking increased to compensate. But that was in my head part of, look, if I could quit that, I could quit this if I wanted to. And as soon as we got back together, we had another child. And, uh, and it took me two years to hit a physical bottom. I became a secret drinker. You know, I had beer, I had booze stashed in my vehicles for on the way home and during the day to function. And uh, I, was on my way to, I was on my way to wet brain. I was, I was starting to uh, get shut off in bars because I couldn't control bodily functions. You know, they don't like that when you urinate in their bar. They throw you out. I was waking up in my own urine. I was 125 pounds by the time I hit here. And I came home one night from... Uh, Brady's Lounge in North Lauderdale, and uh, one of my favorite hangouts. And I don't even know what she said. I don't. I don't know. I, I, she might have asked where I was. I have no idea what was said. And uh, I took it wrong for sure. And I did exactly what I hated my father for. Exactly what I hated him for. And I knocked my wife down in front of my two kids. My 12-year-old and my 2-year-old were sitting there on the couch watching their mother hit the floor. And I, you know, you look, the beginning of the beginning, the beginning of the end, best day, worst day, depends on your perception. That time I thought it was the worst day of my life because I'm, the police come and I'm cuffed and arrested for assault. There's a restraining order. Uh, I'm escorted from my house and uh, told I can't come near them. My wife or my children. My ex-wife or my children. And I end up at... Uh, Bob and I were just, Robert and I were just talking about this before the meeting. I end up at the Days Inn at 441 on Commercial Boulevard. It's, it's the southeast corner, a commercial in 441. It's now La Quinta. And uh, I spend three weeks in that hotel room trying to drink and drug myself to death. And... Uh, and something happens, and, I, and I, anybody that's walked in, on, in here under their own power and has reached that end knows probably exactly what I'm talking about. And it's a point where there's no more relief in it. There's no more satisfaction in it. There, it's not justifying my behavior anymore. It's not washing away the guilt anymore. It's, not, it's just not fixing anything. And I find myself drinking to pass out, to get up to drink to pass out. 
and just, as Bill says, just to blot out my intolerable life. I want out, and I don't have the guts to kill myself. I don't have the guts to try the pistol again. And I'm trying to drink myself to death, and I'm getting no relief. And I have this moment of clarity, just this, this brief window, this brief moment that comes on me. And for the first time in my life, I want help. Ever. First time in my life ever that I decided that I need help. I can't stop. And, uh, and, I, and I really believe that was God. I really believe that was a moment of God's grace coming down and saying, okay, I got a job for you. Here, I'm going to take you and stick you over here. You know? And I reach out to my sister who's in Alcoholics Anonymous. I had never considered that option before. I don't even know where it came from. Now, I knew my sister was in AA. I had never considered going to an AA meeting or calling her or asking her for help or even in, inquiring about alcohol or alcoholism. But at that moment, I was done. Now, I don't know if that window would have shut. My sister answered the phone, thank God. And that's why we have to be so vigilant when that phone answers, right? That, that moment of clarity is so brief. That window opens so briefly. When that person reaches out, and we don't pick up the phone because we're too busy, or I don't want to hear from this guy again. You know, that might be the only opportunity we have to save somebody's life. And I don't know if my sister doesn't pick up that phone if I'm here. I don't know if that moment comes again. Because usually it's brief. Uh, Tebow in the back of the book talks about how um, the amazing recuperative power of the human ego. You know, because you know how I mean. If you sponsor a lot of people, you know how it is. How they tell you, I'll do anything. I'll do anything. I'll do anything. Okay, meet me Saturday. Saturday. Yeah. Why does it have to be Saturday? Saturday's my night. Well, because that's when the meeting is. Oh, jeez, don't you have something on Tuesday? One guy said this to me, and I swear this is true. One guy said, isn't that Halloween Eve? You freaking kidding me? I call my sister. She comes and gets me out of the days in. Takes me to my first ever meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous at the 5th Chapter Club in Lighthouse Point. I don't remember anything about the meeting. I remember it was a big book meeting. That's all I remember. And I remember the guy chair and it looked like Papa Smurf. Uh, I found out later his name was Lee May. God rest his soul. Uh, years later, by the way, I found his name was Lee May. But Lee, Papa Smurf, got up at the end of the meeting and asked if there was anybody in the meeting that wanted to start a new way of life. And I don't know if he asks that question any other way, if I get up out of my chair. Anybody want to give up the fight? No. I'm not done fighting. I want to get my stuff back. I want to get back in the house. I want my children back. Anybody ready to surrender? Surrender was not a word in my vocabulary. Oh, no. I'm not ready to surrender anything. But new way of life? Yeah. Yeah. I wanted a different way of life. I don't know what I wanted. I often thank God that I didn't jump into some Hare Krishna meeting or <laughs> she didn't drop me off somewhere. I'd be jumping up and down with roses and a shaved head and a robe somewhere. You know, I, I just I would have done anything at that moment. I really was. I I was that beaten. I was beaten into that state of reasonableness they tell they talk about where I'll do anything and I would have. I would have. And that started I was March twenty sixth, nineteen ninety one. It's the only white chip I've ever picked up. I'm a one white chipper. Uh, I had no idea what was in store for me. I had, uh, I didn't know, I, I didn't even know you guys didn't drink. 
you know, my sister drank all the time. She'd be coming to AA a long time, you know. <laughs> I had no idea. I'm like, what, forever? <laughs> I thought you guys had some magic where you figured it out, you know, how to control it. Or, or maybe we had a schedule, like we get to drink on this day, but not this day, this day, and this day. I had no idea that it was going to be like forever. Yeah. New Year's, birthdays, nothing? Nope. I didn't really have anywhere to go. Yeah, I, I wasn't allowed near my, my kids or my ex. I wasn't allowed near my house. I, you know, I was staying in the back room of my mother's house. Hi. <laughs> and, uh, and I hung out at the meetings. You know, I, one thing I did here was, uh, was that, uh, to do a 90 and 90. That, and, and I fell in with a crowd. That, you know, the meeting makers make it. And I heard that. And, you know, 90 and 90. And I'd have nowhere to go anyway. So I was doing a 270 and 90. You know, I, <laughs> I was there in the morning, I was there at noon, I was there at 5.30, and I was garbage guy. You know, I volunteered because they could stay the latest, because then I could stay there till 11. And then I'd go to Denny's with, with everybody that was going to Denny's. That, that was their motto, don't drink and go to Denny's. You know, and that's the crowd I fell into is don't drink and go to Denny's. You know, and don't leave until the miracle happens and meeting makers make it. And You know, look, there's a... You know, I thank God for this fellowship. I thank God the fellowship was here. And I, and I thank God that those people took me under their wing uh, and drug me to Denny's with them. You know, uh, but I want to tell you something. I used to sit there at Denny's and go, this can't be my life. You know, this is like Loserville right here, man. You know, I, 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 this, this is like the pits, right? I go to work and I go to freaking Denny's That's the, and meetings. This is my life now, you know. And then I hear some ass from the podium say, I have a life beyond my wildest dreams. You know, and I'm like, do you know where you're at? Are you delusional? You're in AA. You don't even have a car. You're getting rides to meetings, dude. You know? I had no idea what they were talking about. I didn't know what they were talking about. I thought they were talking about something tangible. I had no idea. You know? I uh, did learn. My first 90 days here, not drinking and going to Denny's, what untreated alcoholism feels like. Anybody that's done that trip can attest that it's very painful. When you come in here and you don't do the work and you just white-knuckle this thing and you hang in there one effing minute at a time, it's painful. And it becomes about how long can you hold your breath, doesn't it? The people, I mean, have anybody done that and just come in here and not done the work and hung out, right? It's painful. If you take away my medicine, I don't do better. I do worse. You feel better, all right. You feel pain better. You feel anger better. You feel resentment better. You feel a lot of things better, but you don't feel better. <laughs> I was breaking windows. I mean, seriously, I was punching windows out. I remember calling my ex and telling her, I found out what's wrong with me. I'm an alcoholic. She's really. Yeah. No, no, really, really. I'm an alcoholic. I just got to go to these meetings and not drink. She says, you're not an alcoholic. You're an asshole. And she hung up. <laughs> She was right. Because <laughs> really, right? You sober up an asshole, what do you got? A sober asshole, right? That's really it. And that's what I was. I just wanted my shit back, and she knew it. You, know, you, just want, you, you just want back in this house. You just want everything. You just want it back to the way it was. It's not happening. You know? Get your life together. I remember picking up my 90-day chip. What time is this thing at? <laughs> I don't want to torture them. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I picked up my 90-day chip at a 10 p.m. meeting at the 5th Chapter Club, and I was dying inside. 
I was 90 days sober, dying inside of the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. When I say that, I mean emotionally, I was dying. I couldn't do this anymore. And I was in the same spot as I was in that hotel room, only there was no drinking involved. I'm in the hotel room, and I can't get any relief, and I can't stop drinking. And I'm in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I can't get any relief, and I can't drink. What the hell's the difference? I'm not sure which one's worse. And I pick up my 90-day chip at the Fifth Chapter Club, and I tell all of you what a bunch of assholes I think you are. <laughs> like, you guys are some losers. <laughs> you know? Like, you guys are a bunch of 12-step junkies. You know, this place is ridiculous. You know, half of you guys don't work. I don't know how you can afford to even come to meetings. <laughs> you know? I feel like I'm stuck in a bad Saturday Night Live skit or something. Like, I want to share. You know? <laughs> I don't want to share. And if somebody else hugs me, I'm punching them. You know, I'm, I've had it, you know. And I was working my way out. I, I was contemplating. I was contemplating suicide again. In the rooms of AA. I go to the outside. I'm sitting outside the Fifth Chapter Club. It's on the second floor. It was in. It was at uh, 4900 block of uh, the Vantage Building. I'll never forget it. At 4900 block of North Federal and Pompano, in Lighthouse Point. And I was standing at the railing contemplating what my next move is and a gentleman named Brian H comes up to me he heard me share when I picked up my my chip and I don't know what he said I, I always said I always laugh he, he told me it wasn't high enough you know because it was only on the second floor but uh, we started talking about something else and and Brian said you know there's a program here and I said yes I've been coming to it and he goes no you haven't You've been attending the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. The program of Alcoholics Anonymous is a book. That's where the instructions for recovery are. The fellowship is great, and it's a great place. There's a great place for support there. But there's a program in the book. Would you like to hear it? And I said, yeah. Well, I got to lose. So he sat in his little Mazda behind the Fifth Chapter Club, and he opened up the doctor's opinion and read the doctor's opinion to me. I don't know where you guys were hiding that shit, but that is some pertinent information right there, right? Because somebody finally answered the question every friggin' alcoholic and addict wants answered, and that is what? Why can't I stay stopped, and why can't I control it once I start? Why do I keep starting knowing where it's going? Why do I keep starting knowing that I'm going to get a divorce, knowing that I'm going to go to jail, knowing that I'm going to get in trouble when I start drinking? Why do I do it? Why can't I stay stopped? I promise that I'm going to. And Brian finally explained about the obsession of the mind and the allergy of the body. You know, this idea that overcomes all other ideas to the contrary. This idea, this thought, that I only can see what alcohol is going to do for me and completely blocks out what it's going to do to me. I love Bill Wilson's line in the documentary when he's talking about that Applejack situation where he's sitting around the, the conference table and they offer him booze and he passes it up the first time. And it comes back around the second time and they offer it to him again. He goes to pass it and they go, do you know what that is? And he goes, no. That's, that's Applejack. That's the best jersey. That's Jersey Light, and that's best Applejack this side of the Mississippi. And he goes, damn, I've never had any of that. Boom. He takes a drink, and he's off on another run and blows the whole deer. He says, it was as if a black curtain came down between me and the truth. That's exactly what I used to. That's, I mean, oh, my God. It's exactly what's happening. I'm promising that I'm never going to drink again. And by the end of the day, i got a drink in my hand. I can't remember that she's leaving 
if I pick up a drink again. Her suitcases were packed. She meant it this time. But my mind says somehow, some way, this time, it's going to be different. I had a 20-year history that said, no, it's not. But I keep convincing myself that it is. Insanity, the book calls it, an illusion, a delusion, an obsession, that somehow, someday, I'll be able to drink like a normal person. He said, but that's only half the problem. The other half is you suffer from an abnormal reaction. You suffer from an allergy of the body. A physical reaction that takes place. That once you put a drink in you, a physical craving develops that ensures you cannot stop once you start. You cannot control it once you start. God, you know, the book talks about that explains many things that we could not otherwise account for. It explained finally why I never went home. I meant to. I called. Said I was on my way. Start dinner. Get ready. We're going out. And I'd go through the drive through pick and pack. I get a tall Budweiser for the ride, and I never make it home. I'd be part way, and then I'd say, "You know what? I'm going to stop at the body shop and say hi to the fellas real quick, because Denny's isn't going to—I mean, dinner's not going to be ready for another hour anyway, and she's probably still getting ready to go out. So I still got some time, so I'll stop and have a couple shots with them guys, and then I leave there, and I'm on my way again." Be home in 15 minutes. Well, you know what? Let me stop at Kokomo's real quick and just get a quick couple of drinks there. And the next thing I know, it's 3, 4 in the morning. Could not make it home. We were, I mean, it's not... You know, I look back at, at those days and I, I look back at some of, the, some of the behavior and it's sickening. It, it's still, to this day, I mean, they tell you it's not to look back in... in, in uh, with morbid regret, or, or but it sometimes it's just it got wrenching, especially the time around the holidays. I remember not coming home on Christmas Eve, not coming home on Christmas Eve to put the stuff together for the kids. On my way, I stopped for a drink and never made it home. That frothy emotional appeal, right? How could you? What is wrong with you? I don't know. That's what I said. Anybody else say that? How could you do that? I don't know. <laughs> I can't believe you did. How could? I don't know. Dad, you said you'd be at the game again. Why didn't you come? I don't know. I didn't know until that night. Why I couldn't control my drinking, why I started, and why I couldn't stay stopped. Somebody finally answered the riddle for me. And my recovery took off from there. I was... I wasn't afraid of four. As a matter of fact, halfway through my fourth step, I went, oh my God, it's all my fault. <laughs> you know, it's like, I mean, really, right? I mean, isn't that what it reveals, right? I mean, you, you, know, you know, I hate this person. This is what they did. This is how I was affected. Oh, shit, this is what I did, you know? This is why they hate me, right? This is what, you know, I hate the police. They arrested me. Oh, crap, I assaulted her, you know? They, they were called to the scene. It wasn't, let's go get Pat Knight. They, they were called, you know? You just start looking at column four and you go, oh, yes, oh, Jesus, ah, no wonder, you know. The IRS, they want my money. No, they want their money. (laughs) I was afraid of five. I was afraid of five. I don't trust people. I I have trust issues, man. I just, because, hey, look, you grow up and you don't trust the two people you should have been able to trust unconditionally. You don't trust too many people after that. 
you know. Why? Everybody lies. Everybody runs. You know. Everybody cheats. You gotta protect yourself. I sat at Denny's with you guys talking about them people in the meeting. No way I was doing a fist step with you guys. Next thing I know, I'd be at Denny's. Be part of the menu. I was afraid. Much as I owe Brian my life, I couldn't do it with him. And, uh, and I had a, a tough love group that was on my ass about doing it and getting it done, and a men's group that I belonged to. And so I decided one night to uh, call St. Andrew's Church in Coral Springs at 11 o'clock at night, and I figured nobody will answer the phone. And I'll tell them I tried to do it last night, and nobody picked up. And uh, at 11 o'clock at night, Father Quinn picked up the phone. And I said, Father, I'm, uh, I'm in recovery. Oh, and you want to do a fifth step. The Coral Springs group had been meeting there for years. I didn't know it. You know, he knew if an alcoholic was calling him that they wanted to do a fifth step. And uh, be in my office tomorrow morning, 9 o'clock. And uh, that's where I was. I was in, the, uh, in his office the next morning at 9 o'clock. And uh, did my fifth step with him. Did a confession with, uh, with Father Quinn. First one I had done in almost 30 years. And uh, my life changed forever, man. You know, I... It's that intangible they were talking about. I don't even know how to explain it. You know, I, I mean, how do you explain what a rose smells like? You know, how do you how do you describe water? You know, it's uh, it's something you have to experience. It, it, that's the intangible the guy from the podium was talking about when he talked about a light beyond his wildest dreams. I didn't know it until that day. Uh, I left that office, and and what became obvious, and and a lot of you guys will think this is silly, and I really never heard anybody have the same experience until I heard Marty Mann's story, which you, you see her picture come up on the, on the projector. Marty Mann had the same experience, first woman sober in AA, had the same experience, is that I couldn't believe how green it was outside his office. I was looking around going, there are trees everywhere. This is the greenest place I've ever seen in my life. Like, I, and I don't know, nothing changed, I don't think, except my perception. But I'm going down the Sawgrass Expressway and I'm taking my glasses off and I'm looking around and going, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. There's, there's friggin' trees everywhere. I've been in Florida for 12 years and never noticed there are palm trees everywhere, right? I've been looking at asphalt and, by, and bumpers my whole life. You know, I've been walking around my head down, looking at the ground. I didn't acknowledge anybody that walked by me. I was self-absorbed. If I'm at a light, a traffic light, I'm looking at that light. And when that turns yellow, this one will go green because i got places to go. And I'm going to be right on a horn. And you could have had a heart attack in the car next to me, and I would have never noticed it. I'm leaving work that day. I'm going west on the Sawgrass Expressway. And I'm looking out west. And I'm looking at this absolute gorgeous sunset. And I said to the girl at the toll booth, I said, look at that. And she said, what? I said, look, look at that. And she looks out the toll booth and she said, yeah, it's a sunset. It's there every night. You know? <laughs> I've been driving that road for 12 years. I never saw it. I never saw it. My eyes opened. They talk about the blind seeing. My eyes opened that day. A whole new world came into view. My life changed forever. I got the same feeling halfway through that fifth step as I got halfway through that ball of Moon's Farm, Strawberry Hill. I found the power greater than alcohol that day. Most people have it later at 9, maybe some have it in 10, 11, and 12 as they incorporate this way of living their life. I had an, an amazing experience at 5. The slate was clean. I had a new start. That was all behind me now. I could move forward with a new life now. 
And I knew two things for a fact that day. One, that I would never pick up a drink or a drug again. The obsession was gone. I'm not telling you I haven't thought about it. Because my mind still reaches back to that moment at 16 years old when I picked up that first bottle of Moon's Farm. I know there's relief in it. But I also know the truth in it. And that's sanity. I know where that's taken me. And I have a power greater than alcohol in my life today. And the second thing I knew for sure is that God is. It had been proven to me that day. I can't prove it to you. But it was proven to me. And Bill knows that's going to happen. That's why there's no belief requirement in Alcoholics Anonymous. That's why there's only one requirement, and that's a desire to stop drinking. There is no belief. You don't have to believe in anything to be a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Because he knows that if you follow the precise, specific, exact, clear-cut directions that God will materialize in your life, in your heart, as our solution says, and, and it will be proven to you, we're results-based. Just do the work and let the results speak for themselves. Trust me. What do you got to lose? Great fact is just this and nothing less. We've had deep and effective spiritual experiences. The central fact of my life today is that God has entered my heart in a way which is indeed miraculous, lives in a way which is indeed miraculous, and is doing for me what I could not do for myself. What couldn't I do for myself? I couldn't stay stopped. I couldn't stand the way I felt for one more second. Hence, I couldn't stay stopped. And now I have no desire to pick up. It's an amazing program, you know. And now I get to do this. You know, I mean, you, you get to do this. Where else does, do my defects become my greatest assets? Where else can you go and share your brokenness and that become your asset? Only in Alcoholics Anonymous or CA or NA. That's the only place that stuff happens. Where my greatest assets become my biggest defects. You know, where my shared brokenness can avert death and misery for someone else because they'll identify with that same brokenness. That's the magic we have. Our stories are our magic. That's why there's 43 stories in the back of the book. They're in the book. Bill's and 42 in the back. That's why they're in there. That's the magic. When I'm telling my... That's where it happens. Out there, two alcoholics talking to each other, and one's going, yeah, I felt like that too. Yeah, I did that too. Yeah, that happened to me too. Boom. Bond. And I tell them, and I say, I know how you feel. You know I know how you feel. And when you tell me uh, you know how I feel, I know you do. When the doctors and the clergy and the psychiatrists and the psychologists tell us they know how we feel, no, they don't. No, you don't. You don't know what it's like to take a drink against your own better judgment. You don't know what it's like to take a drink or a drug knowing it's sending you to prison. You have no idea how I feel. I do. I do. And you know I do. And thank God you know how I feel. Because that's the bond here. There's a great power in this fellowship. I love this fellowship with all my heart. I love everything to do with this fellowship. I need this fellowship. When I say that meeting makers don't make it, alcoholics and addicts that don't go to meetings don't do well. It's a three-legged stool. You've got to be in all sides of that triangle. The fellowship is part of it. The program is part of it. Helping other alcoholics and addicts is part of it. That's the whole deal. And you've got to be in all three of them if you want what we got. You're going to have to do what we did to get what we got. That's the deal. You do something else, you'll get something that maybe resembles sobriety, but it won't be freedom. It won't be happy, joyous, and free, as I heard from the podium. It'll be hanging in there. How many people you see there? How you doing? Hanging in there. You all right? Yeah, I'm hanging in there. I'm hanging in there. 
three more hours and I'll have another 24, you know. It's not what I came here for, man. It's not what I came here. I, got, I came here to get a new life. I came here to not have to hang in there. I came here to enjoy myself. I love you guys. Thank you for letting me be here. <laughs> Thank you, brother. You know I love you. Thank you, Let's give him one more round of applause. Thank you, Pat. I see his wife is still here. That's a good sign. Absolutely. Let's do our secretary's report. Uh, we have a new rotated in our new secretary, Chris. Where is you? Come on up. Give him a round of applause. Chris. Right, Chris. Hi, my name is Chris. I'm your recovered alcoholic secretary. Hi, Chris. In keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. I've asked Ronnie to come up and read the recovered statement. We read this notice to explain why many people in this group identify as recovered rather than recovering and what it exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. Hey, Ronnie. Ronnie. Skittles. Hey, I'm Ronnie. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Ronnie. All right, the recovered statement. Uh, We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime, but we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in the body. We are now seeing where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Thanks. Thanks, John. 1940s style big book sponsorship. From the forward to the second edition, Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses. And among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe and experience is that God has not changed over time and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% success rate. Can I have a show of hands uh, for recovered alcoholics? Is anyone in need of a sponsor? All right, can I get you to stand up, please, back there? Raise your hand and be a sponsor. Go ahead and stand up. Go ahead and stand. All right. We got a few people back there. All right, let's. uh, You can you can meet these these folks after the meeting. Recovered. Guys and ladies, let's get these folks back to God. Um, So please join us Monday nights, uh, the Big Book Study Meeting, where the Big Book comes alive. This is uh, we're going to be starting the book again next week. Fellowship is at 6:30. Big Book Study starts at 7:15. We have CDs, mugs, large print Big Books, the Little Red Book, and Big Book dictionaries for sale there in the back. Uh, We meet every Thursday, starting promptly at 7:15, and we ask that you be courteous and ready to begin at the sound of the bells. See you next week. Thank you very much. Thank you, Chris. Yay, Chris.
By the way, we have a special price tonight. The bugs are mugs are five dollars each, but we'll sell you two for ten dollars tonight. A special opportunity tonight. Uh, don't forget, we have the uh, Thursday night Alcoholics and God in this room this Thursday, and we have a Pat just ended his twelve week, eleven week series, and we have a new series, and that's going to be Mary and W. Mary, stand up for me. Let's give. She starts. Stand up. We got a gal. A gal. So let's get a lot of women coming in here. Support Marion in her next 12 weeks of sharing her experience with us. Yeah. All right. We have uh, tonight's session and all the past speaker podcasts online for free at bigbookstudy.org. Yeah, that's it. And those who wish to thank tonight's speaker, we can just line up down the center here. and Pat will be in here. Uh, you can thank him like they do in old school AA. Um, we hope to see you guys Monday or this Thursday. Is that about it? That's about it. You guys right. be safe. By the way, who? Uh, I think I truly belong to one of the best home groups in the country, and I'd like to give a shout out to all the home group members that helped make this possible. Like, can we give them a round of applause? Yeah. Now let's put a let's give a round of applause to the home group members who are going to stick around and help clean up. Those are the real home yeah. group members, right? Yeah. Right. You got it? You want to yeah. take us out? Let's, uh, let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Seated. One moment of uh, silent meditation. If we allow, who will bring us from shame to grace? Our, Our Father, Father, who art in heaven,
Chan, chan. 